Hi there, it's me, Spencer. Craig got COVID. Um, that's why we haven't done any episodes with all three of us, or any at all, really, uh, for two weeks now, is it? So I'm not going to fact check that. You can if you want, if you're that much of a dweeb. But the important thing is I'm here to get you through the week as best I can. I, I say that. I'm, I'm probably not even going to do a full hour of this. But it's something, and that's more than you've got. We haven't done a solo episode in a while, any of us come to think of it, uh, I guess I'll just, uh, I'll call this Into the Void with Spencer. Mostly so I can reuse that theme song that I spent quite a bit of time on and then used exactly one time. So here you are, spiraling, spaghettifying, drawn ever downward, ever inward into that lightless, inescapable darkness. Lightless darkness. That was a good one. Yeah. Wow. English degree coming in clutch. Welcome to The Void with Spencer. Man, I tell you, it is good to be back, or it would be if we were back, or if this bore <laughs> any resemblance at all to how the show normally goes. But that's fine. It's okay. We're we're all just here to figure it out, aren't we? Here to learn. You and me both. So why don't I start by reading a selection of the articles that I might have read on a full episode of the show had we done one this week, or last week, or the week before, I think. <laughs> well... In any case, I would have read this one on our Valentine's Day episode. I don't know if it would have come out on Valentine's Day. I'm trying to think. Oh, it would have been, would have been the 13th. So it would have been close. Might have been nice. Uh, reading from Lancaster Online. Lancaster? I always second-guess myself. I'm going to go with Lancaster because it's funnier. OSHA finds Mars Wrigley following two employees trapped in chocolate tank at Elizabethtown Factory in 2022. Now... You may be saying, what does this have to do with Valentine's Day? Well, I'm here to tell you, if you haven't heard by now, a lot of candy gets passed around on Valentine's Day. And candy? Well, Willy Wonka makes that. And what else happened with Willy Wonka? That kid uh, got stuck in the chocolate pipe. Mystery solved. Mars Wrigley is facing nearly 15, count them, thousand dollars in fines after a federal investigation into how workers became trapped in a chocolate tank at the elizabethtown facility last june now elizabethtown where which state doesn't say i'm gonna guess kentucky because i think that's where the movie elizabethtown takes place in which orlando bloom plays a guy who designs tennis shoes as his job don't watch it those workers were not authorized to work in the tanks and were not trained on the proper safety procedures for the equipment occupational safety and health administration investigators found Two external contractors from IK Stoltzfus Service, Service, Stoltzfus Service, there we go, we got there, became trapped in the tank shortly after 2 p.m. on June 9th, this is 2022. The contractors were there to clean tanks, according to the OSHA report. Dispatchers noted at the time that the workers were, quote, not floating around in the chocolate, but that officers had 
trouble getting them out. I I didn't read this version of this story before. I, I read a, something from another site. I didn't see the quote that they expect them to be bobbing around like apples. First responders had to cut a hole in the bottom of the tank in order for the workers to get out, according to previous reporting. Both workers had to be taken to hospitals, one via helicopter. That's not that's not as funny. I don't think I saw that before. Well, so now you might be wondering how you get stuck in a tank of chocolate. Well, I looked these things up because I thought they were just like, from the description, it was just going to be a big round, like a kiddie pool kind of thing. Uh, it's not. It's almost like a miniature water tower. It's a it's a metal cylinder. It's, it looks to be pretty tall. And I, I from where the position of the walkway is adjacent to it, uh, it's a long way down in there, which is it probably explains how they ended up uh, needing to be helicoptered out. Um, so it's it, they're designed for chocolate to be in there. They're not designed for people to be in there necessarily. Uh, hence the hole cutting as well. Now, there's more to this article, but it's kind of boring. The key factor for me is the amount of the fine being levied, which if you were paying attention, you would notice is $15,000. Mars Wrigley makes M&Ms. They would not notice $15,000 going missing if you stole it out of their front pocket and then hit them in the face with it. Why are they even pursuing that? Like, it's not going to cover anybody's hospital stay. It's certainly not going to cover a fucking helicopter ride. Like, it's not even covering an ambulance trip. Uh, okay, it'll get it'll cover the ambulance, but it's not going to do anything once you get in the door. I, I, I said this story. I picked the story because I thought it was funny at first. Now I'm just mad. Uh, let's move on before it gets worse. <clears throat> Boy, this is the this is the danger of going off the cuff, isn't it? Well, we're gonna we're gonna settle ourselves back down. We're gonna find our center, and we're going to read about something else. This is gonna sound like a joke, but I swear it's not. Uh, this is actually part of the way that I well research is too strong a word, but how I dig up segments for the show. Sometimes I'll just Google phrases like zoo crimes, and you would be astonished at the amount of hits you get for that. Reading from the Dallas Morning News, we'll call this uh, the Wildlife Dispatch, even though it's, well, it's a zoo. I'm not really in the wild anymore. It's as close as we're going to get. It's the Wildlife Dispatch. Desperate to fill time, Spencer recites facts about animals in what zoologists call the Wildlife Dispatch. And what happens next is anything but extraordinary. The headline, Man Jailed in Dallas Zoo Crimes. I'm telling you, it's, it's more than you'd think. Plans to steal more animals if released, affidavits say. The newly abhorned, abtain, obtained court records, you know, I'm leaving it, uh, reveal key details about what happened in the mystery at the Dallas Zoo over the last several weeks, which made international headlines. I got to say, before I progress with this any further, international headlines doesn't really mean anything to me. Like with the amount of publications that are online only and are completely valueless, whose only purpose is to be like SEO gaming so they can try to get onto the front page of Google, uh, it, it means nothing to me anymore. Like how many times, this is, this is a sidetrack, I'm going to get back to it. How many times have you Googled a simple question, like how much flour goes into a... Uh, a loaf of bread, and all of the the front page responses are like breadfacts.biz being like, many people have many questions about how much of flour goes into a bread, and we are here to help you answer to this question today. 
Like it sucks. When did Google start sucking this much? Anyway, the man arrested in connection with a series of incidents at the Dallas Zoo, including cut enclosures and missing animals, told police he plans to return to the zoo and steal again if he's released from jail, according to arrest warrant affidavits obtained by the Dallas Morning News on some Monday. It says Monday. It probably made more sense if you read it the day it came out. But that's not what we're here to do, is it? Now, I, I got to say, I am no lawyer. I'm not legal counsel. Don't tell police that you plan on doing more of the stuff that got you interrogated by the police. Just don't ever do that. I feel pretty safe with my zero years of law school telling you not to do that. The newly obtained court records reveal key details about what happened in the mystery at the Dallas Zoo over the last several weeks, which made international... Okay, that's a pull quote. Thanks. Uh, A man whose name I will redact, who was booked into the Dallas County Jail Thursday after being spotted at the Dallas World Aquarium (laughs) looking for his next victims, told investigators how he was able to enter the zoo several times, evading security and also outlined his plans to take additional animals, according to the affidavits. Uh, The man, who told police he loved animals, that's in scare quotes, faces six charges of animal cruelty and two charges of burglary. His attorney did not return a request for comment, and neither would I. (laughs) At that point, you're like, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm guessing his attorney was not present when he made these admissions. The first major incident at the zoo was reported January 13th, with the disappearance of the clouded leopard named Nova, who was found unharmed hours later. The man said he intended to take Nova, quote, but could only manage to pet it, because she leapt up to the top of the enclosure and he was, again, quote, unable to retrieve it, the affidavits say. If you're going to start stealing animals from the zoo, which you shouldn't, uh, don't, don't do that. Uh, I've, we've all thought about it, I'm sure. Like, I've, I've seen the red pandas. I know the the sting of temptation, but you can't, you can't do it. Now, if they break out and you say, find one in your house, then are you under any obligation to report it? Well, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I hope one day to find out. Zoo officials later discovered cut enclosures for langur monkeys, which were still in their habitat, and then the unusual death of an endangered vulture named Pin. Police said last week, the man is accused in the langur monkeys case, but stated they were still investigating Pin's death. So we don't know. Might have been unrelated. Weird timing, but crazier things have happened. Nine days after the vulture's death, two emperor tamarind monkeys, Bella and Finn, were taken off zoo grounds, police said. The monkeys were later found alive in Lancaster. How many Lancasters are there? I said I was sticking with Lancaster. Uh, Zoo staff previously told police that the man asked obscure questions and was acting odd in the days before the monkey's disappearance. This is the part that killed me. The affidavits say he asked, where do y'all get the monkeys from and how do y'all shift them around? He also asked similar questions about the zoo's tigers, according to the affidavits. Don't start with tigers. That that was what I was going to say before I got sidetracked with the idea of uh, Red Panda coming to live with me. If you're going to steal animals from the zoo, don't start with Big cats that can rip your face off and not even feel it. And, and like this is again not, not I'm not giving anybody advice on how to commit crimes, just you know, self basic self-preservation. Uh on January 29th, a zookeeper said the man asked, How do you catch the birds and where do they go at night? And was seen writing information on tissue paper. 
of the Emperor Tamarin monkeys, which, by the way, are the ones with the little wispy curly mustaches. They're actually big wispy curly mustaches. They're adorable. Uh, don't steal one, but again, you know, who hasn't thought about it? He asked a zookeeper, where can I get one and how do y'all get them in at night? Near the exhibit where the clouded leopard and langur monkeys are kept, the affidavits say he asked, how do you handle them and are they aggressive? He was then seen entering a staff-only area and after being asked to leave, was followed around the zoo by an employee until he went home. He told police that on the night of the 29th, he waited until dark, then jumped a fence on the Clarendon Drive side of the zoo, the affidavit says. I'm going to stop saying the affidavit says. This is a terribly written article. He said he then went to the monkey exhibit, quote, cut the metal mesh, went through the door, cut the enclosure where the monkeys were in, and took them. According according to the affidavit, they tricked me. Photographs included show a giant square cut into metal mesh. He said after getting the monkeys out of their enclosure, he took the dart rail and then walked to the vacant home where he kept his animals, a court document said. Now, there's, there's nothing confirming this, but I get the feeling this guy is not well, necessarily, which is why I didn't want to throw his name out there. Um, th- like This is not the behavior of a, a guy whose life is going according to plan. But at the same time, he the, the, the animal cruelty charges were not unfounded. He was keeping a bunch of them in a derelict, vacant building with no facilities and no way to you know provide for them. Uh, so jury's out well, for now. I, I assume there will be a jury convening within the next few months. Man, I went to the zoo one time uh, about a year ago uh, and saw a, a red panda. He was eating out of a little burlap sack. He has some some kind of treats in there. And he uh, it was sitting on the counter. He smushed his face into the sack and he lifted his head up and the sack came with it. Uh, it was terrific. It was a, a beautiful little moment. And I, oh, when that one escaped the zoo a few years ago, oh, it was actually quite a long time ago now. It might've been a decade ago. I, I kept thinking, what if it comes near me? What if I get to see one in the wild? Well, the wild, you know, in, in the suburbs. Because man, I don't know what it is. Those little guys, those little critters, they get me. I don't think I really have a segment that ties to this next one. Uh, Let's call it The Nightmare File. You'll see why. From Business Insider. Do I make a joke about what that publication's title sounds like? You know what? I'll leave it to you to imagine what it might have been. A pilot thought his instructor was pretending to nap, but the man had actually died in flight. Now, you probably already know this, but just in case you don't somehow, uh, if you take a flight class, they don't put you on one of like the commercial airliners, 747. They teach them on the tiny little tin can airplanes, you know, the kind that you can actually theoretically, if you have several thousand dollars lying around, purchase and operate on your own. I don't know if it would be better or worse for it to be uh, the big commercial airliner that your, your flight instructor dies in versus one of those. Um, let's, all, let's all make a pact right now never to have to compare. A flight instructor accompanying a pilot on a private flight in England last year suffered cardiac arrest and died shortly after takeoff. But the pilot thought his fellow flyer was just pretending to take a nap and didn't realize the truth until after landing on the runway. 
A June 2022 flight above Blackpool Airport in Lancashire, there's a lot of Lancas in this episode, turned tragic when one of the plane's only two crew members, a longtime flying instructor, 57, died in flight, slumping on the pilot's shoulder after a cardiac incident, according to a newly released safety report. I'm thinking about this and I can feel my palms sweating. Like I, it, the idea, granted, it's probably a little bit different if you know how to fly a plane. Presumably it's not your first flight lesson, I would hope. Um, the pilot that day had originally planned to fly from Blackpool Airport to another airfield, according to the UK's Air Accidents Investigation Branch report. Really only hit that accent on the last word, didn't I? But crosswinds at the time were above the pilot's comfortable limit for flying alone, so he asked an instructor to accompany him for a single circuit. There were no passengers aboard the four-person Piper PA-28. Threw that little detail in for you uh, aircraft heads. I could not picture one in my mind's eye if you paid me enough to buy one. But pre-flight, the pilot said he and the instructor were chatting normally. The last words he remembered the instructor saying were, Looks good. There is nothing behind you. According to the report, I'm trying to figure out a way to make that sound or seem more meaningful, but uh, struggling. Shortly after takeoff, however, the pilot said the instructor's head rolled back. <sighs> the pilot knew the instructor well and thought he was simply, quote, pretending to take a nap, not realizing what had occurred. The pilot continued to fly the circuit, but soon after, the instructor slumped over with his head resting on the pilot's shoulder, according to the incident report. The pilot still believed the instructor to be kidding and continued to fly as normal. So this, to me, says that he never once asked what was going on. I don't understand how someone can go through life like that. If it's me, I am poking and prodding. Although I guess that would have killed me because once I'd realized what had happened, I would have just freaked out and probably slammed the throttle back and pulled into a stall and spun out and hit the ground at terminal velocity. So maybe they had the right idea, and I'm wrong. It's been known to happen. After the pilot safely landed, he said he realized the instructor's weight was still resting on his shoulder. As he failed to garner a response from the instructor, the pilot finally realized something was wrong, according to the report. I, I know I just went over what I would have done, but I, I don't know. I'm still in awe of the complete lack of inquisitiveness <laughs> that it takes to have somebody just flop over and put all their weight onto you from the seat next to you and think, oh, yeah, that this probably happens all the time. What a joker. What a knave. Fire crew and air ambulance medical crew promptly arrived and tried to revive the instructor, but he remained unresponsive and paramedics were unable to save him, probably because he had been up in the air fully dead for, I would guess, upwards of 45 minutes, probably longer. Other people who spoke to the instructor the morning of the flight said he was acting his normal, cheerful self and offered no indications of feeling unwell. Let's not think... See, I keep... I, I want to find the humor in these things. And now I'm just terrified. Uh, not even just at the idea of being the, the, the living pilot, but also at the simple fragility of life. This is the void that we drag you into on this show. By the way, if you were wondering what the title meant, I don't know what Craig had in mind, but I've just now figured it out for myself what it might mean. Oh, God. What's the next story going to be? I mean, that's that's three in a row now where I've started out laughing and then about a moment into it, I go, huh, you know what? Actually, this is terrible and reminds me of my own mortality. 
and the complete lack of any safety net that anybody has anymore. Uh, let's 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 go on to Dear Abby. Dear Dear Abby. It's called Dear Dear Abby. We came up with that. Somebody came up with that. I think it might have been Craig. Maybe Michael. Was it me? You know what? Let's just do it. We don't want to start a fight. We're just trying to figure out what you mean. It's time to get the record right. Even though you died in 2013. This is Dear Dear Abby. This is Dear Dear Abby. This is Dear Dear Abby. I've talked a little bit now about how I have some disdain for Dear Abby's seemingly infinite gullibility. Um, it's it's either that or her belief in all of her readers' infinite gullibility. Uh, I can't decide which is worse. She keeps falling for obvious hoaxes, is what gets me. And we're going way back, way, 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 way back in the archive for this one, but it's a classic for a reason. From November 8th, 1960, Dear Abby, if you are interested in teenagers, you will print this story. What a way to begin a paragraph. Please don't say that. Unless you're angling to get printed in the Epstein Times, it's not going to work for you. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it doesn't matter because it served its purpose for me. A fellow and his date pulled into their favorite lover's lane to listen to the radio and do a little necking. Now, necking, for those unfamiliar, is what old people call fucking. The music was interrupted by an announcer who said there was an escaped convict in that area who had served time for rape and robbery. He was described as having a hook instead of a right hand. The couple became frightened and drove away. When the boy took his girl home, his girl, presumptuous, aren't we? He went around to open the car door for her. Then he saw a hook on the door handle. I don't think I will ever park to make out as long as I live. I hope this does the same for other kids. From Jeanette. This was not sent in by a teenager. This, I hope, is already obvious to you. This was sent in by an adult trying to keep their unruly teens from kissing in cars. Unfortunately, and it took me digging through like newspapers.com to find it, Abby herself does not respond to this. However, she did print it under her name. You know, I mean, not Jeanette, but Abby is on the Dear Abby column. And she's like, yeah, yeah, they'll fall for this. Those dumb hogs will eat this up. No problem. That's that's a side I think I'm landing on. I don't think she believes a word of anything that she reads or prints or says. I think it's all just cynicism all the way down. She printed manhand the hook door car door. the, The fucking it's a joke. Like, I think even in 1960, you had to read that and think, Okay, yeah, I'll file that in my brain along with all the other stories I've heard that never happened. And yet here we are talking about it because she printed it. And that's not the only one either. I found another. Leaping 31 years forward in time to October 30th, 1991. Is that a one or a four? I can't read. 1991. Dear Abby, recently I attended the wedding of a good friend. Because I am a photojournalist by trade, she asked me if I would videotape her wedding, and I gladly agreed. Now, this was a big deal in 91. Videotape? Are you kidding me? 
The wedding was beautiful and the reception went smoothly until the bride's father stopped the band to make an announcement. He said he had lost his wallet, which contained $1,500, pausing here, in 1991 money, with which he had intended to pay the band. Wow, Jesus Christ, can you imagine that payday? He said if anyone found the money, it could be returned simply by leaving it in the men's lavatory and no questions would be asked, but no money was turned in. The following day, I looked over the footage I had taken of the reception and was astonished to see that while filming a couple's conversation, in the background was the groom removing a wallet from the evening coat of the bride's father. Now I don't know what to do. The couple is away for two weeks on their honeymoon. Should I tell my friend? Should I tell her father? Or should I just keep it to myself? For the bride's sake, please do not use my name or address. Signed, no name, no address. This did not happen. Never happened. Anything that sounds this much like a Reddit post did not happen. And I know it didn't happen because this is not the only time this story has popped up. This is a classic one. So classic, in fact, that it made it into a book titled Too Good to Be True, The Colossal Book of Urban Legends by one Jan Harold Brunvan. Jan? Jan Harold Brunvan. This book cites several other versions, including Time Magazine, which published it years before on, the, on their July 7th, 1986 edition. There are several variations. The money may have been stolen, I'm reading directly here, from the bride or from her father, and the thief may be the groom's father or the groom himself, as we just heard. Sometimes the camcorder was left unattended and running on a tripod and just happened to catch the theft. The amount stolen varies from 1500 to as high as $20,000, which seems like a huge sum for a person to carry around in cash. The bill, whether for the band, the caterer, or the reception hall, is then usually paid with a check, credit card, or with cash borrowed from a relative attending the wedding. Sometimes people say the wedding was annulled. In other cases, there's an early divorce. A few couples, according to the story, work things out and live happily ever after. So what I'm curious about and what I'm going to endeavor to find is precisely how many times Dear Abby has published complete trash, unmitigated garbage, and tried to pass it off either as a true story or with a little bit of uh, her patented plausible deniability where she goes, oh, uh, well, I don't know if this is all true, but it certainly teaches us all a valuable lesson. Because this can't be it. There's got to be more with how long she's been doing this or who, however long you know people who have adopted the Dear Abby moniker have been published. I mean, everybody's got lazy days. I'm doing one right now. Actually, this is no, this is the hardest I've worked on the show in a long time. Um, trying to keep it running. Like I've been talking for almost half an hour now. Uh, and yet... In all that, I haven't tried to tell you that like that I knew someone in elementary school who drank Coke and ate Pop Rocks at the same time and his head exploded or something. I haven't tried to pass that off, right? It's not that hard. How, how bad could it be? I mean, you're nationally syndicated. You got people writing into you from everywhere. Internationally, actually, I, I believe. So just print some stupid stuff and go, oh, like just as your thing, you know, your, your segment, just go, oh, interesting. Uh, try try fighting them directly. Pitch an argument in a public place, like a hotel lobby or whatever. Just do that. Don't don't give me this. God, I really need those, those other two here, don't I? For that mitigating influence. That's four. That's four things in a row. Started out laughing, ended up with my head in a twist. Tell you what, let's round this out with a a dumb one. We haven't done this in a while. I'm dipping back into the archives for something. 
As a matter of fact, this is sort of a, a, a double duty segment. It's it's that and it's the dream index, which we never do because it's not that great a segment. But it's back for this episode only. Reading now from the St. Louis, St. Louis, Globe Democrat from March 11th, 1906. Now, I just found this. I did not plan this out ahead of time, um, but I'm a really big fan of it so far. Uh, if if we get into any weird racist shit, I'll just, uh, I guess I'll just cut out this whole entire segment. But the headline here is, uh, it, 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 the whole piece sounds like they've just come across the, like they've just discovered the concept of dreaming for the first time. Um, the headline, the weirdest dream I ever had. Curious visions of the night that have come to a number of St. Louis financiers while asleep. They never dream while awake. The implication seeming to be, what's up with that? <clears throat> have you ever had a dream that was really weird in every sense the word implies? Probably many may think they have had such things, but doubtless, out of a hundred submitted as proof, not more than one would be found to have all the elements that constitute a complete definition of the word weird as used in this sense. We may dream we have fallen out of a balloon over a precipice or from a moving steamer in mid-ocean. Well, I can't tell you how happy I was when I finally stopped having my steamer dreams. And on arising in the morning, characterize this as something weird when, as a matter of fact, it has been merely terrible. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, in all the dreams that come to the human family, there is seldom anything dreamt about that is not possible of realization in ordinary life under given circumstances. Really weird dreams, the kind that bring into the vision elements entirely away from the ordinary and deal with conditions that could not obtain in our everyday existence, are not found once out of 10,000 times. The average individual, therefore, may go through his entire life without ever encountering anything in the sleep vision line that is truly weird in all its elements. But still they do occur to some, and a recital of them is generally taken as evidence that the person has a remarkably good imagination and no compunction about prevaricating. So prone is the general public to think that such dreams couldn't occur at all. I think that's a polite way of saying they don't mind talking about silly horse shit. Um... They are not strictly speaking nightmares, for these are accompanied by feelings of unutterable horror, terror, and frenzy, whereas the merely weird dream is usually attended by none of these consequences. You see what I'm saying? Like, it, like they just found out about dreams. Like, nightmares, yes, we're familiar. We, we are, our research has led us to understand that those tend to be bad. The dreams which follow actually commit three St. Louis financiers of more than local repute, and one wholesale merchant whose name is known all over the Southwest. So, for those of you just joining us, the whole pitch for this article was, we talked to three bankers and like a grocery store guy uh, about what dreams they've had, and we're going to publish them for you now. Uh, probably 40 men were interviewed as to the strangest and weirdest dreams they ever had. They interviewed 40... And though many offered experiences that they thought would take the banner, only these four passed the scrutiny of experts. 
experts who uh, as being strictly weird. Two verged closely on the nightmare class, and in the case of the wholesale merchant, actually resulted in his receiving a hard blow as a result of his excitement the dream engendered. Businessmen are inclined to shy at the word dream. It has an unpleasant significance in the business world. I don't know what. But, uh, sure, okay. In consequence, they object to the use of their names in connection with their visions of the night, fearing that they may be classed with the dreamers of the day. <laughs> Is that why they put it in the headline? Like, oh, don't worry. These are not men who are prone to flights of fancy. They just have what experts are calling night dreams. Uh, but their dreams were real ones, and here they are just as they told them. One of these sucks. I'm going to skip to the good one. Two of the dreams related by the bankers were not without their humorous features, and the first one was clearly the result of a case of indigestion. The quote begins, I was possessed one night with an inordinate appetite for ham and eggs, says this financial, <laughs> financial light of St. Louis. <laughs> this angel sent down from heaven to guide us toward fiduciary salvation. It happened in New York and manifested itself during a performance at the theater. I was an onlooker at Maud Adams in Peter Pan, and I remarked to a friend who was with me about the singularity of such a desire at such a time. We laughed about it. Yeah, well, why wouldn't you? What a great joke. Boy, watching Peter Pan really makes me crave ham and eggs. <laughs> <coughs> But the appetite didn't disappear. Instead, it continued growing in force until by the time the performance was over, I was compelled to drop into a Broadway restaurant and order what I so inordinately craved. Somebody taught this guy the word inordinately like two days before they interviewed him, and he's obsessed. I ate with a relish. Don't know when I've ever had a meal I enjoyed so much as that, and half an hour later was sound asleep in bed at the hotel. Presently, things began to happen. A great light pure white and of much power, seemed to be beating around me, and in some curiosity I raised my head to discover that my stomach was brilliantly illuminated. The entire front wall was like a window, and peering down I saw one of the eggs I had just eaten sitting on a piece of the ham, fishing for the other egg. <laughs> it appeared to be a sort of a game, for the egg that was playing Catch Me If You Can was running this way and that, and I could swear I observed it smiling broadly. <laughs> Uh, then I began to wonder how the egg sitting on the piece of ham was manipulating the threads it used in endeavoring to catch the other, and in attempting to solve this, my attention was distracted for a moment. Suddenly, there was a flash. I received a distinct impression that something had shot out into the air and reached instinctively after it, only to just catch hold of the other egg as it launched itself out into space. I, I don't know what's happening anymore. I've, I, I only saw an illustration of this. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can make it the episode art. I think you can only see the episode art if you go to like the RSS page for the podcast, but uh, you should for this one. Uh, it's it's a little guy in a trench coat chasing after a bizarrely, like it's an, an enormous egg, like a fried egg with a creepy face drawn on it and it's sprinting away from him with the caption, I knew I had to catch that egg. And so I, I just skipped ahead to that because I, why would I not? Um I felt myself pulled from bed, and then came a brief period of darkness followed by a quick drop into a strongly lighted apartment. Before me, running up and down, was an egg, and I knew I had to catch that egg, but how? I couldn't move from where I was sitting. 
and the problem seemed unsolvable, when I bethought me of my hair, <laughs> and taking a strand in my hand, pulled it from my head and began to wave it after that runaway egg. This guy sat down and told his newspaper all of this. Like, I've had some weird dreams in my life. All right, like the one I always talk about is one I I dreamt that like, uh, like uh, it was a time travel thing and everybody had a little time travel device that they could use to go back like an hour and a half. But you had to go at the end of that hour and a half, you had to like remind your future self to do it. Otherwise it would break the causality or something. Uh, and if that happened, then for whatever reason, you would just explode in an extremely gory manner. Uh, and then they'd have to send out uh, the time cop to deal with that. And the time cop was cast in my dream. You guessed it as cookie monster. Uh, but like that was a quick, like that took what 20 seconds to talk about this guy. It's like, it's paragraph after paragraph. Uh, he's got an egg and the egg jumped out of his stomach. Did he throw it up? I don't I'm, I'm, I'm unclear on the mechanics of it. And now he's lassoing it with his own hair. Um, and telling the newspaper about all of it. While I was doing this, I became conscious of something observing me, and looking up, saw a large egg peering down at me. I was completely amazed at this, and tried to raise myself on my feet to get a better look at it when I discovered I had no feet. In fact, that I was reduced to only my head, and what I thought were my hands were really only my ears. That I was distressed over this goes without saying, for in the same moment that I made this discovery, I also received the impression that the egg had stolen my place on my body while I was away, and that unless something were done about it in the morning, I would arise with a fried egg for a head. Plunged into deep gloom over this thought, I covered my eyes with the forelock of hair I had been endeavoring to catch the egg that was running before me with. But as I did so, I was disturbed with a queer sort of laugh, and looking up again, saw that the egg on my shoulders was laughing at me. To be laughed at by a fried egg was more than I could stand, and I made a frantic leap, seized the fried egg in my teeth, and woke up. Since then, I've sworn off on ham and fried eggs any time after 12 o'clock noon. <sighs> I'm starting to regret having read this to you. I don't know what the point of any of that was. The first one is a really dumb one about being on a train, but then the train tracks are made out of snakes. And tries to lift one, and he can't do it, it's too heavy. And everybody freaks out and gets off the train, and the cops are chasing him. And I'm just paraphrasing this as I'm skimming through it. Uh... Is a pumpkin. He lands on a pumpkin, and there's hornets in the pumpkin. And he, oh, he's the one who gets the the the, the 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 hard blow as he wakes up. He smacks himself against the. Oh, he he jumped from his bed and had gone at a good pace against the wall of the room. All right, cool. That's dream one. We just did dream two. Dream three. Too much art. I haven't read this one at all yet. I don't know how good this is. The dream the other financier related was not as ascribable to indulgence in any appetite as he flatly declares in this narration, but was replete with even more humorous features than that of his contemporary in banking circles. They keep, they're really obsessed with the idea that like, hey, check these guys out. There's some spark of humanity in there after all. Who knew? I had attended an art exhibition in the early evening, he observed, at which I had been slightly annoyed by the ravings of some anemic ladies over certain bilious-looking pictures harsh that was your problem and this may have been the immediate cause of the effect sustained for i pledge you my word i had taken nothing stronger than a weak claret punch a claret punch like is he talking about sangria 
I know this dude wasn't drinking any good sangria in 1906. Well, I don't know, whatever. Uh, and only a small glass of that from dinner time until I retired. My first impression was that something was poking me in the ribs. The finger that was doing it was soft, and the prod, consequently, was anything but painful. In fact, I'd begun to laugh at anything so soft trying to punch a fellow in the ribs, when it occurred to me to look around and see who it was. I attempted a movement of my body, but it seemed held fast, though my head turned readily enough and my eyes rested on a fat green man who was sitting solemnly by my bedside, punching me with his finger with every tick of the clock. He was as serious about it as a bookkeeper casting up a trial balance, and his church-like expression, coupled with the general appearance of the man, again moved me to laughter. Whereupon he shifted his eyes from my side for a moment, held up a warning fat green finger, and then continued as solemnly as before with his punching operation. He was of a peculiar bright green color, extremely fat. Yeah, we get it. Jesus. Uh, and very mournful as to countenance, with angular-shaped ears and three long tentacles, very like earthworms, on his head, one on top and one on each side. A pink perspiration began to ooze from his forehead presently, and he stopped his solemn task of punching me to wipe this away. His hand was so fat and pudgy. Oh, my God. Dude, learn other descriptors. And he raised it to his head in such a ludicrous manner that I laughed aloud. He looked at me with a reproachful expression on his countenance at this. Someone taught this guy the word countenance instead of face the other day. And now he's obsessed with it. A reproachful expression on his countenance at this and rising with a deep sigh, slowly climbed onto the bed and standing on my chest, bent forward until his hands were on each side of my head. When he raised himself from his feet and balanced himself on my nose. The proboscis developed amazing strength, for it bore the several hundred-pound weight of my green visitor without causing me to feel it. But the end of the tentacle on his head slipped under my chin and hung in such a position that it began to tickle and caused me to laugh once more. Slowly the form on my nose lowered itself until the feet touched my chest once more, and I looked up to see the little, little fat green... I'm just going to say the LFG fellow. I need an abbreviation. He keeps saying it. Looking at me with that sad, reproachful look, which only made me laugh the more... The green man then heaved another deep sigh, solemnly stepped to the floor, and walked to the door. He opened this and stood with his back to me for a moment, then, turning and raising one hand to his nose, made what children would call a face at me and disappeared. You know, plenty of people call it that. That's just what you call it. Like, the dictionary, I think, would have some sort of supplemental definition of the word face, where they call it that. The appearance of the face was so humorous that I fairly shrieked with laughter, and it was my own laughter that woke me up. So I think what happened here is this guy was visited by the great gazoo from the Flintstones, who came in an attempt to impart certainly some sort of tremendously important message about his own future, or perhaps indeed the future of our very species. And instead, this guy called him a fatso about seven or eight hundred times laughed it off, and woke up. That was that. There's one more. The strangest dream I ever had, said this gentleman, was one in which I thought I had been transformed into a fly without power to operate my wings, however, and found myself an unwelcome visitor in the room of a worthy citizen who incontinently chased me around the walls of the apartment with a large carpet slipper in his hand. Every half minute that slipper would descend on my supposed location, but I always managed to escape it, though not without mental perturbation that was of a little more agitated sort than I care to experience again. That was a waste of time. That was a total waste of time. I guess that's the one that the Southwest Kroger magnate had. It looks like the article ends there.
I'll be damned. Well, what can we learn from this? We can learn that bankers in early 20th century St. Louis were uh, the kind of people who will tell you at length about dreams they had, even though you really don't really, you're going to gain nothing from it. We know now that uh, they had a vocabulary of roughly seven to eight words per person, and that they just added seven and eight to that vocabulary a couple of days before being interviewed, and we're really, really excited to show them off. And we know that newspapers really had nothing better to do back in the day and would publish literally anything. This was on page 70. I just saw that now. This was on page 70 of this newspaper. Jesus. There was, they did not need, they didn't have that much to talk about. (sighs) I don't think we're going to top that. I mean, we did with everything else, but I don't think we're going to get worse than that. So maybe, maybe this is uh, about time to wrap things up for today. Thank you very much for listening. You really didn't need to. I'm not sure why you did. Uh, Desperation, I suppose. You crave the content. Isn't that just a horrible thing to say about somebody, another human being? You're more than that. Never Better, or Into the Void, whatever we want to call this, is produced, in this case, by me. We're distributed by nobody. And our theme music is uh, Piano Player by the Hotel Year. Don't look up the album art for that album, by the way, uh, on a work computer or anything that you would be uh, worried about other people seeing. Great album, though, if that's the kind of sound you like. It is for me. Hopefully, we will see you next week. Hopefully, I don't have to do this by myself again next week. But if worst comes to worst, we'll find out what the worst is together or separately. Goodbye, everybody. I guess I'm supposed to uh, put something here at the very end for the true diehard fans or else they get very upset with me. Um, the trouble is I didn't really plan anything out. I didn't have any outtakes because this is sort of a stream of consciousness program today. So what you've heard is everything I've said uh, up, up until and including now. Um, I'm stalling while I'm trying to think of anything to give you. Um, tell you what, here's something off the wall. <laughs> I think about this kid a lot, actually. There was a kid in my middle school, all three years, sixth through eighth grade, uh, named Dylan something. can't remember. Uh, and he was obsessed, and he did not mind telling you, uh, with Lindsay Lohan. Now, this was not to date myself terribly here, but uh, in the relatively early days of the new millennium, ugh, God, the passage of time. Um Anyway, like when she was at sort of like her, her career peak, right? Peak stardom. And uh, 
people, so people were talking about Lindsay Lohan. You know, like, oh, did you see the Lindsay Lohan movie? And anytime he overheard somebody else talking about her, he would shuffle up to him. <laughs> uh, he would put up one finger, extend his arm, and press it to their lips as if to shush them. And he would correct their pronunciation by saying, ah, 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 Miss Lohan. So you can see why I still have a very clear mental image. Um, And I found out pretty recently, uh, I guess I haven't looked at this in a bit. I I don't think I had dreamed it though, uh, that that is how you're supposed to say it. That's how her name is pronounced, Lohan. Uh, I had no idea. I should have trusted him, should have taken him at his word. He was clearly the bigger fan. Um, There we go. There's your tidbit. Until next time.